Good afternoon, church. I would like to invite everyone to stand on their feet in the honor of the word of God. Uh, this week's scriptures reading taken from Luke chapter 11, verse 5 to 13. Church, let's read together in the count of three. One, two, three. And said to them, which one of you or the friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will insult from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give a good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Church, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You all may be seated. Awesome. So we are on our second sermon of Lifeline Series. So if you missed out last week's sermon, I do highly recommend you to uh, get it on Spotify or YouTube. Because a lot of things that we talk about today is built from last week's sermon. Why do we find it hard to pray? Now, as a Christian, we know that we need to pray, right? I mean, earlier in our pre-service prayer, Alice mentioned there's a cliche statement that if you grew up in church, you, are, you hear it all the time. A prayer is like oxygen to our Christian life. We cannot live Christian life without prayer. Have you heard that before? Like, it's a very common statement. And that statement is true because prayer is as essential as breathing. So just as we can't live without breathing, we can't function as a Christian without praying. But here's my question. But why do we struggle to pray? Now, I'm sure we can think of many different reasons, right? For, for some, it might be because we don't have enough self-discipline. So what we need is to be more motivated to have more self-will. Or maybe some of us say, well, it's because we don't plan well. Because we can't wake up early to pray if we go to bed at 1 a.m., right? So we need to plan our day better. And maybe that's true. I mean, most of us could use a little more self-discipline and plan our day better. I give you that. But I think if we can be honest, I think there's a deeper issue, deeper problem why we don't pray. And it's not related to our self-will. Now, if we can be honest, if I can be honest, listen, the reason most of us struggle to pray is we do not think prayer works. Okay, let me explain. I know some of you are like, what? We're in church. The process used to go like this. I mean, there are times we prayed and God answered our prayer miraculously. Like we pray for unmarried healing and see is healed from cancer. Like we pray for Bob's salvation and then Bob came to know God a few months later and we're like, 
this is great. This is awesome. God is a prayer. God rocks, right? He hears our prayer, and we're excited. But then there are times we forgot to pray, and the thing we forgot to pray for happened. Like we promised to see that we, we will pray for her husband to come to know Christ. And then a few weeks later, Susie come to church with her husband, and Susie thank us, thank you for praying for us, prayer works. And you're like, yeah, awesome, praise God, God answer our prayer. While you're talking to yourself like, ha, 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 I forgot to pray. But it happened anyway, okay? Anyone been there? Can I see your hand if you've been there? Like, look at all these hypocrites, yeah? But there are also other times we pray. We ask other people to pray together with us. With us, We believe God. So come on, come on, guys, let's pray together with me. We believe that God will do something great, and we pray together. And here's the thing, nothing changed. We pray, but our parents still got divorced. We pray for the child, and we are still barren. We prayed for our loved one, and they still died because of illness. And because of it, here's what happened. We started to think, well, I'm not sure if there's any relationship between my prayer and what happened anyway. I'm not sure if there's any connection because sometimes God answered the prayer that I prayed for. Sometimes God answered the prayer that I didn't even pray for. See, my prayer don't really change anything because at the end of the day, God is sovereign and He does whatever He wants with or without my prayer. And so what ended up happening is we quit praying. Or maybe we still pray, but our prayer simply ritualistic and not fail with faith. We don't ask God for things. Oh, if we do ask, here's the funny thing. We ask, but we do not expect to receive. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one who feels that way? And this is what Jesus is addressing in our text today. So let me give you our context first. So the passage right, uh, comes right after the Lord's Prayer that we look, about, uh, we look at last week, okay? But this is from the Luke's account. So remember how Jesus' disciples came and to ask Jesus, teach us, teach, teach us how to pray? And then Jesus answered them by teaching them the Lord's Prayer. And after Jesus teaching them the Lord's Prayer, Jesus immediately dealt with this question of whether prayer even works at all. Why? Because Jesus understands the doubt that His disciples and we are facing. Because as long as we doubt if prayer works, we will not pray. We won't ask. And that is why Jesus tells these parables to tell us that prayer works. So if I can sum up my sermon into sentences, it says, God wants to answer our prayer even more than we want to ask Him. He's more willing to bless us than we are to ask Him. And I think the reason why we struggle to pray is that we forgot that God is not simply the creator of the universe. He is our good Father. Okay, I have three points for my sermon. The art of asking, three points. Ask shamelessly, ask persistently, and ask trustfully. Let's go to the first one. Ask shamelessly. Verse 5 to 7. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaf, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. 
I cannot get up and give you anything. If you ever need my help in the middle of the night and try to wake me up, I have two words for you. Good luck. Okay? Because I always turn my phone on silent before I go to bed. And even if somehow you manage to wake me up, let me tell you, you will not meet the pastoral smiley Yossi. You will meet the unsafe Yossi. So if we think about this story in our context, what this person does is outrageous. Can we agree? But even more in the first century Israel. Let me explain. In those cultures, hospitality is extremely important. So being hospitable is very sacred duty. So when you have a guest staying over at your house, you must treat that person well. Okay? You must provide food and shelter free of charge. So if a guest show up and you don't have food, that's embarrassing. So the story goes like this. So the story goes that one night, Ali's friend come over and Ali does not have any food for him. And it's already midnight. And there are no 24 hours KFC convenience store or Uber Eats. This is real problem in those days because Ali knows the demand of the culture is he has to serve food for his friend but he has none. So what he does is he goes to his friend's house, Baba. Now, remember that this is electricityless culture. See, for some of us, midnight is an hour before we go to bed. For them, midnight is when they are in deep sleep because they usually go to bed between 8 or 9. So that means when Ali comes to Baba's house, Baba and his family are already halfway through their sleep, sleep cycle. Then suddenly, Baba hears someone knocking on the door. Ali, 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 wake up. My friend is staying with me tonight and I don't have any food for him. I need you to give me three loaves of bread. Now, that's outrageous. But what makes what make matter worse is Baba is actually sleeping with his whole family on the same bed. See, in those days, most people live in a one-room house with one large bed where they sleep together as a whole family. So that means when, ba- when Ali pounds on the door, it's not only Baba that hears it, but the whole family hears it. Now, if you are a parent, you understand how frustrating this is. It is one thing to wake you up in the middle of the night. It is another to wake all the kids up in the middle of the night, Right? Because getting them to sleep again will take another several hours. Like, listen, Ali and Baba might be friends before that night. But how many of you know that after that night, their friendship is severely tested? Especially because what Ali requested is not a matter of emergency. Think about it. He's not saying, Baba, please help. My mom got into an accident. I don't know what to do. Please help me. No. This is not a matter of life and death. All Ali needs is three loaves of bread. It's just a simple request. So Baba says to Ali, don't bother me, go away. It's very late already. Everyone already sleeping. I cannot get up and give you anything. Note, it's not that Baba cannot, but Baba would not. But look at what Jesus says next. Verse 8. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
Now, this is very interesting. So, eventually, Baba get up and give Ali what he asked for. But listen, Baba did not give up, and Baba did not give Ali what he asked for because Ali is his friend. Baba does not get up out of friendship. But Baba does get up. Do you know why? Jesus says, Baba, get up and give Ali whatever he needs because of Ali's impudence. And the word impudence is very interesting. It comes from the Greek word anedia, which means, listen, asking rudely, even acting rudely to get a result at any cost without shame. Let me put it this way. It's what we think about our moms when she's haggling for a price at an item at a marketplace. How much is this? 20 bucks. 20 bucks? I give you $2 worth. And we're like, I don't know this person. She's not with me. I'm not with her, right? That is the good translation of the word, anadia, shameless. And Ali here is shameless. He does what he needs to get what he wants without regard to others. He just does not know which line to cross and which not to cross. And I am sure all of us have someone like Ali in our life. If you're like, no, 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 I don't have anyone like Ali in my life. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You might be Ali. So the reason Baba gives Ali what he asked for is not because Baba wants to help Ali, but rather Baba wants to end Ali's bothersome request. You with me on that? So it's not out of love or friendship, but out of wanting to be left alone. And you know what's shocking about this story? Like, <laughs> the point of this story, I hope you get it, is not that we should be shameless in asking things from our friends. Because if we do what Ali did to our friends, I guarantee you, you will not have friends sooner or later. But what Jesus is saying is, the way Ali bothers Baba shamelessly is the way you should pray to God. Boom! And what Jesus is saying, Jesus is not saying that God is like Baba. He's not saying that. But what that Jesus does is he's making a contrast. Jesus is saying, I want you to come to God the way Ali comes to Baba. I want you to bring your request to God shamelessly. And the point is this. If an unwilling friend can give his friend requests because he asks shamelessly, how much more will God respond to our shameless requests? In other words, God wants us to bother him shamelessly. And unlike Baba, God is willing to be bothered. He's not offended by our shameless request. Do you know why? Because he is our father. Dad, think about it. Do you know who has the audacity to wake you up and ask you for a cup of water at 3 a.m. in the morning and you actually do it? Let me tell you, it ain't your wife. If your wife, if your wife wakes you up at 3 a.m. and asks you for a cup of water, these two things that you might do. You either pretend you do not hear or you will say, why do you think God gave you hand and feet? Am I right? That's... But if your child is the one asking you actually get up and dad get the cup of water, right? Or you might say, mom is on the other side of the bed. Why don't you try her? Either way, your child will get that cup of water. 
Let me give another example. Think of a president of a country. What does it take to meet a president in his office? Well, we have to be important. We have to have accomplishment. We have to have power. We have to have connection. Oh, we will never meet him in the office. There are appointments that we must make and strings to pull unless we are his child. See, his child has the freedom to enter presidential office and run to him and say, Daddy, I want a candy. Give me candy. Is the president no longer a president because he's a father? Of course not. He's still the president of his country. But to his child, he's also his dad. But if we try to run toward president and ask him for candy, well, we might see Jesus face to face. But children are shameless. Did you realize that? And here's the question that I want us to ponder as a church. Listen, are we too polite in our prayer? Because if we're not careful, sometimes we can use what we know of God to stop us from doing from what God wants us to do. For, like for our church context, we understand that God is sovereign. We understand that nothing happened in the universe outside of God's control. Every little thing happened that every little thing that happened in the Himalayan jungle that no one knows about happened within God's sovereignty. So nothing happened outside of God's permission. We got that. And because of that knowledge, here's what we do say to one each other sometimes, right? Prayer does not change my situation. Prayer changes me. And that's great. That's cute. I mean that's true. Prayer does change us, but my question is, who says prayer does not change our situation? Because the reason Baba gave what Ali asked is that Ali dares to ask shamelessly. So my question is, do we dare to ask God shamelessly? Or somehow, do we use God's sovereignty as a reason for us not to ask? And when we refuse to ask God shamelessly, we are downplaying God's generosity towards us. See, there's a wonderful story of Alexander the Great that illustrates this point. So one day, one of his generals come up to him and say, I have to marry off my daughter. I need a lot of money for the wedding. Can you help me with money? And Alexander replied, of course, you are not my general. And I would love to help you. How much do you need? And the general mentioned a lot sum of money, and let's say in today's equivalent, let's say it's about $10 million. And everyone in the room is shocked, right? Total silent. Everybody's staring at Alexander to see how he will respond. And to everyone's surprise, Alexander laughed. And he said, for sure, go ahead. You can ask my treasurer for the money. Tell him that you have my approval. I'm looking forward to have a good time at the wedding. So and the generals walk away. And as soon as the general leaves the room, all of Alexander's advisors come up to him and say, why did you give him so much money? Why did you do that? And why are you smiling? Why are you so happy about giving so much money? And listen to Alexander's answer. He says this, that man has done me a great honor. By asking for such a large amount, he showed that he believed that I am that wealthy and I am that generous. He knows what it means to be my generals. Church, 
do we know what it means to be God's children? Because most of our failure to us shamelessly are because we forgot who our Heavenly Father is. Not only shamelessly, but the second thing that we can see is to us persistently. Okay, in verse 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who has received, and the one who seeks, find, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. See, just in case we're missing the point of the parable, Jesus make it clear to us. Since God will rise and give us what we need, we must bring our request to Him. And Jesus say, I want you to ask, I want you to seek, and I want you to knock. Because if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be open. Does anyone notice the progression? It begins with us. It means we bring our request to God shamelessly. See, when we talk to God, there's no need for us to go round and round and give two minutes introduction why God should give us what we ask. We can just cut to the chase and ask Him because God already knows what we need before we even ask Him. We can tell God exactly what we want from Him. But then seek. Seek is an action to pursue what is us, right? It means we do not remain idle. We do something about what we want and it involves effort. And lastly, knock. It's about intensity. So it is asking plus seeking plus knocking. And we can't say it in English, but in Greek, the tense of this verb is in the present tense, which means continuous action. So Jesus not only saying, I want you to ask, seek, and knock, oh no, Jesus saying is this, I want you to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I want you to do it persistently because God is not indifferent to you. He hears you and He will act on your behalf. With another word, there's an invitation from Jesus here. Will we persistently pound on heaven's door until God give us what we ask? Will we continually ask persistently until He answers? And the good news is God is very different from most parents. Parents, what do you do when your child continues to ask you for the same thing? You will say, if you ask me one more time, see what it will lead. But God say, why don't you ask me one more time and see where it will lead? This is God's invitation for us to bother Him persistently. And my question is, are we praying like this? If we can be honest, most of the time we don't, right? I mean, we might ask God once or twice, but then we stop asking. Do you know why? Because we're not desperate enough yet. Because only desperate people will continue to knock until the door is open. So that means if we're not praying persistently, it shows that we are not desperate for God's help. We are quietly confident that we have what it takes to do what we need to do. Because this culture, we understand we have the time, we have the money, we have the skill. We don't think we need God. We fail to realize how desperately we need God's help. I mean, we don't really believe it when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why 
we don't ask persistently. But this does beg the question, right? Well, why? Why does God want us to ask persistently? I mean, why doesn't He just give us what we need the first time we ask? It will be much easier. You with me on that? Why make us keep coming back to Him for the same thing again, again, and again? I think there could be many reasons, but let me just highlight three reasons. Number one, if we're not persistent, maybe we don't really want it that much in the first place. Isn't that true? We will keep asking, we will only keep asking if what we ask is very important to us. But number two, our persistent asking bring glory to God. Now, some of you are like, how? Let me explain. When you ask God persistently, it is an indication of your confidence in God. See, the only reason you keep asking is that you are confident in God's goodness to answer your prayer. And we are showing God, God, you are our only hope. See, when we ask persistently, we're saying to God, God, you're it. You're my only hope. You are the only one who can help me. And I'm not going anywhere else because there is nowhere else to go. You are it. Either you help me or nothing is done. Praying once or twice does not demonstrate that. Asking persistently does, and it glorifies God. And the third, it reveals whether we understand the gospel or not. See, only those who understand the gospel can engage in this shameless, persistent prayer. Let me explain. There are two ways we can approach God, religion or gospel. So religion says this, God is my big boss. I must be good to make him happy. And if I'm good enough, then God will hear my prayer. But if I'm not good enough, he won't give me what I ask. So everything is hinged on my performance. I must work hard and I must deserve it to get what I want from God. That's religion. But the gospel say, hold on a second, God is my father. I can never be good enough to earn to have God's answer on my own. I can never be good enough to make God happy on my own strength, but Jesus is good enough. And Jesus has lived the love that I could not, and He has done it for me. And now, because of Jesus, I'm adopted as a son. I am God's child because of Jesus' perfect performance. And now, God listened to me, not because I worked for it, but because Jesus has worked for it. And now I can freely come and ask God for what I need. Can you see the difference? The way we ask God, we feel whether God is our boss or God is our father. An employee knows that he must earn it before he can get something from his boss. A child just knows his father loves him and has the guts to ask him persistently. And isn't that how family works? Husband, if your wife asks you this tricky question, hey babe, do you love me? You don't say to her, I told you in 1990 when I married you that I love you. Why are you asking me that question again in 2023? You don't say that. Why? Because your wife is not a hard drive. Your wife is a person, right? Telling a person once is not enough. You need to continuously remind her that you love her. 
And newsflash, God is not a hard drive. He's a person. He's our father and we are his children. And God works in a relationship. And he loves when his children come to him and depend on him. And the point that Jesus is making is Jesus wants us to continue to ask God. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't give up too soon. Perhaps the reason why our prayer does not work is because we give up too soon. This is the way John Piper put it. Persistent in prayer will prevail with God where giving up won't. In other words, God will only give us some things in response to our shameless, persistent prayer. So what needs do you have today? Maybe you've been praying for your parents' salvation for years. Maybe you've been praying for a spouse. Maybe you've been praying for permanent residence. Maybe you've been praying for your health, your wayward children, your job, whatever it is. The encouragement of the text is, don't give up too soon. Bother God because He loves it when we bother Him with our prayers. And God loves to answer shameless, persistent prayer. But I know you. You guys are smart. You're thinking right now, is that mean I will get everything I ask if I just ask Him persistently? Is that mean if I bother God enough, then God will give me whatever I want? I mean, can I manipulate God to do my bidding? Has Yoshik turned to the dark side now? Because that sounds pretty much like that P gospel, right? The prosperity gospel. And to answer that question, let's move to the next point. Third point, us. Trustfully. Verse 11 to verse 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gift to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To answer your question, Jesus tell another story. He asked all the dads, dads, are there any of you, when your son asks you for a fillet of fish from McDonald's, you give him fillet of snake instead? Or if your son asks you for bacon and egg muffin, you give him scorpion McMuffin? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. No father will ever do that. Can we agree? And this reminds me of my dad. What happened? When I was young, whenever we went out to eat at a restaurant and there was only a bit of food left at the table, my dad will not eat it. He will always let me have it. Why? Because he loved me. Rather than seeing me starve, he rather starve himself. That you understand it, right? Like fathers, I know, I know that many of you work extra hard and long hours to give good gift to your children and provide for their future. And also to pay for your family trip to Japan and burn those cash in the most ripped-off place on earth, Disneyland. Why do you do that? Let me tell you why. Because you love your children. Am I right, parents? 
And now Jesus compared the love of earthly father with the love of the heavenly father. And he's making less to greater argument. He says to all the dead, If you who are evil know how to give good gift to your children, how much more the heavenly father? Think about it. Why did Jesus use the word evil to describe earthly father? You see, I don't think Jesus is trying to teach us the doctrine of total depravity here. Jesus is making a point. This is his point. The best love of earthly fathers cannot be compared to the love of the heavenly father. In comparison to the love of the heavenly father, the best love of earthly fathers look like evil. And the question is, if the fathers on earth, the evil fathers on earth, know how to give what is good to their children, then will not a heavenly father give us what is good for us? Because God is a far better father than any earthly father. And if evil earthly fathers know how to give good, give good gift to their children, we can trust our perfect heavenly father to give us what is good to us. But let me, let me rephrase the question. What if the children ask for snakes and scorpions? That's. What if your children ask you if they can play on the street? What will you do? You will not let them, right? Plain and simple. A good father will not give what is harmful to his children. Now, can you see where I'm going with this? Which means, that means, many times we do not receive what we ask because God, it's not because God does not love us, but because He loves us. God will not give us anything that will hurt us, doesn't matter how persistent we ask Him for it. Let me put it this way. Imagine if you give Aladdin's lamb to a five-year-old. Honey, this lamb can fulfill any three wishes you have. It doesn't matter what they are. It can be evil, it can be good, it can be dumb, it can be smart. Whatever wish you have, it will be granted. Do you know what you would do? You will get into a rocket ship and hide in space. Why? Because you know a big disaster is coming your way. Like Ashisa Kim recently wrote an article, if that five years old is her, she would use the first wish to ask for an extra 100 wishes. That's smart. You can tell she's Chinese, right? But then, even then, she would still use the other 102 wishes to destroy the world, right? Because you know, I know that a five years old would ask for a ridiculous thing. The same with prayer. Prayer is powerful because prayer gives us access to the God of the universe. But most of the time, we do not know what we are asking. We might think that we are asking for fish and egg while in fact we are asking for snake and scorpion. So if we are Christian and we have been asking God persistently and God has not given to us, it might be, it might be because we are asking for scorpion. And it does not matter how much we beg God for it. He won't relent. He will not give us what is harmful to us because God is committed to only giving what is good to His children because He is the perfect Father. I love the way Tim Keller put it. He put it this way. God will either 
give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. However, there's a surprising twist at the very end of the passage. Do you, do you guys notice the twist at the end of the passage? It seems like anticlimax if we read it. Verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And we're like, wait, the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit have anything to do with all of this? I mean, this is not what I want. This is not what I have in mind when I ask God. I'm asking God to give me what I want, not the Holy Spirit. Why on earth does Jesus bring up the Holy Spirit? That's disappointment. And if we think that way, we can't be more wrong. Because this is the climax of the whole passage. See, we don't understand that. It's because probably we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not some magical power that gives us the ability to push people on their heads and make them fall. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, which means He's not less than God the Father. He's not less than Jesus. He's equal with God the Father and Jesus. So when God says, when Jesus said that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, Jesus is promising that God Himself will live within them. And that is the greatest gift God can give to anyone, Himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you know what you really need, if you really know what the most important thing is, you will ask for the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. Because it is the Holy Spirit's job to awaken us to our relationship with God. See, in Romans chapter 8, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That means the only reason that we can have God and love God as our Father is because God has given us the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that makes the love of God real inside of us. See, it is one thing to know that God loves us. It is another to feel that God loves us. So we don't just say, yes, I know what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says that God loves me, but we sense Him. We are excited by Him and we are melted by His love. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we need above all else. You know what we need? We need to regain our instinct as children. Here's what I mean. If we watch little children, can we agree that we see, we will see, they instinctively do everything we talk about. Instinctively, they come to their parents shamelessly and persistently. Instinctively, they trust their parents and expect their parents to love them and accept them. Instinctively, they know that. No one needs to teach that to them. They might have had a temper tantrum an hour ago, but they don't care about that. The next hour, they come to their parents and expect, expect their parents to accept them and love them. Am I right, parents? I mean, they don't think because I threw a temper tantrum one hour ago, I will be kicked out of their family. They don't think that way. They're not worrying whether they deserve it or not. They just come. It is instinctive to children to do that. But it's what happened. As they grow up, 
they lose this instinct. They unlearn it. They begin to think that they have to earn their parents' affection through their performances. And the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to restore that instinct back to us. So what does it mean to grow as a Christian? It means to regain our instinct as children and recover childlike responses toward our Heavenly Father. And just let me tell you, this is our greatest need. Do you know why we struggle to pray? Do you know why we're angry at God for that unanswered prayer? Do you know why we are bitter at God for not doing the way we want? Do you know why we are anxious about our future? Do you know why? Because we forgot God is our Father. We don't pray the way we ought to pray because we forgot that the God of the universe is our Father. That's the bottom line. And that is why the Holy Spirit is the best gift our Heavenly Father can give us. Because the Holy Spirit restored that childlike instinct. And Jesus promised, God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So ask. Ask Him. And let me close with this. But do you know what it costs us, what it costs God to give us the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it costs God to give us the spirit of adoption? Do you know why we can sing to God from our heart, Abba, Father? Do you know why today we can be part of God's family? Because the Son of God was thrown out of the family. Because if we look at Jesus' life, Every time Jesus prayed to God, he always called God Father. Always. Whether he was praying alone or praying in front of people, he kept saying, Holy Father, Abba Father, always. But there's only one time, only one time where Jesus cried out to God, not as a child. He didn't say, My Father. He didn't say, Holy Father. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It happened at the cross. Why? Because at the cross, what happened is Jesus took the punishment of our sin and his name was blotted out from the family card. Jesus was getting what we know deep inside our heart we deserve and that is what? Total rejection from God. We rebel against God and we deserve total rejection. But in one act of grace, Jesus got what we deserve. His name crossed out from God's family card so that when we believe in Jesus, our names are forever written in God's family card. Now we can know for sure that our heavenly fathers listen to us and love us unconditionally. Now we know for sure that He's committed to our good. Now we know for sure that all that is left for us is mercy and kindness. Do you know why? Because the judgment, the condemnation that we deserve has been paid once and for all. And that is why we can cry out together with Paul in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The cross of Jesus assured us that God always listened to us and he will never, ever turn us away. God may not always give us what we ask for, but if we are His children, He will always give us what is good for us. So here's the encouragement. Don't stop asking. Keep coming to Him. 
ask Him shamelessly, persistently, and trustfully. And our Heavenly Father will not fail to give what is good for His children. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you remind us once again who you are. You are a good Father, Lord. That you want us to continue to bother you. You want us to continue to come to you with our shameless, persistent requests. And for the time, Lord, that we are too prideful to do that, forgive us, Lord. But I pray that we remember today, Lord, that what we deserve is condemnation. But in one act of kindness, our names are written forever on God's family card. Because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the confidence that we have, that we can come to you with our request, whatever it is. And know that you will hear us. And you will not fail to give what is good for us. So give us the confidence, Lord. Give us courage to ask shamelessly, to ask persistently, to ask trustfully. Help us, Lord. And for the time again and again that we refuse to do that, pray that you soften our heart. Help us to see how desperate we are in need of you, Jesus. Humble our heart. And not only humble our heart, but also embolden us, Lord, to bring our request to you. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.